Hi! Hey! Welcome to The Cordial Catholic, a podcast for non-Catholics, new Catholics, and those looking to dig deeper into the Catholic faith. I'm K. Albert Little, an evangelical convert to Catholicism, and this podcast is born out of one particular idea. It began for me when a Protestant pastor I was working for asked me the question, what's more important, the Bible or tradition? Well, I thought the answer was easy, but it turns out it's much more complicated than I thought. And as I began digging into the history of the Bible and tradition, history of the early church, the early church fathers, up through the history of Christianity, into the Reformation and beyond, I realized that what I thought I knew about church history, for one thing, and about this thing called the Catholic Church, which loomed large in that history. Well, what I thought I knew about the Catholic Church was wrong. In most cases, informed by misinformation and simple misunderstandings. Well, this podcast serves to fill in that same gap. The gap between what you think Catholics believe and what we actually do. Each week, I have a real Catholic conversation with a real Catholic thinker from the heart of the Catholic Church. No misinformation here. And this week, I'm joined by none other than Catholic Answers Live host, Cy Kellett. Cy's a fantastic guy. We had a lot of fun in this episode. It's a, a barrel of laughs and great information, great in-depth dive into Jesus, the Catholic guide to Jesus. Cy has a brand new book out from Catholic Answers Press, and we dig into that book and, and really who we as Catholics believe Jesus was. Isn't the same person that, that every Christian believes? We believe distinctly different things from, say, Protestant Christians about who Jesus was. And so we unpack that here today. It's a great conversation, a really good time, too. I think you'll love this episode, the chemistry and the fun we have in this conversation. This episode and others are brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash cordialcatholic. Their monthly support, your monthly support, goes a long way to keep this show going and growing, to keep the lights on and all those hosting fees and things paid for. Make this possible. This is not my full-time job, and I do appreciate all the financial incentive and ability that I'm given to, to do this thing. So thank you to all of our patrons for your support each and every month. If you want to support the show, head over to patreon.com slash cordialcatholic or a one-time donation at paypal.me slash cordialcatholic. Do watch this show if you want to, youtube.com slash thecordialcatholic. You can see all these interviews and episodes. And please do subscribe to us there as well to help grow the profile of that channel as well. It's a whole new audience there on YouTube. So, hey, come join us. It's lots of fun. Without any further ado, my conversation with Catholic Answers Live host, wonderful, affable guy, Cy Kellett on The Catholic Guide to Jesus. Please listen and enjoy. Hey guys, welcome back to The Cordial Catholic. Thank you for being here. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us again this week. I want to remind you, if you're on podcasts, we also are recording this for YouTube as well, youtube.com slash The Cordial Catholic. And if you're watching this on podcasts and are tired of our faces, you can listen uh, listen to it on podcasts or YouTube, whatever you choose, depending on how what, what mood you're in or where you are. Don't try and watch YouTube while you're driving because that's, that's a bad scene. 
do the podcast for, for the, those mobile experiences. I am joined by a much more eloquent and, uh, and, and talented host than I am this week. He is the host of Catholic Answers Live, the, the most popular Catholic uh, show on the radio, out there on the internet, I'm sure, in, in the world, and the author of a brand new book, A Teacher of Strange Things, uh, from Catholic Answers Press. I'm talking about Cy Kellett, of course. Cy, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here, and, and hello. Uh, hello and thank you. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, of course I flubbed the intro like that that heroically with you, with you on the show. You are of course. I, see, that's not the, I didn't notice yeah. you flubbed the intro. Well, uh, I, thank you. It, it it feels different though. <laughs> like I often say to people, "Oh man, I did a bad job on it." And they'll be like, "It was fine." What are yeah, you talking about? Because yeah. I guess you have a mental image of what you want to do. Yeah, and then it yeah, but yeah. you did fine. I got all nervous with you there, and, and so so I, I, yeah, well, yeah, I'm very so, judgmental. Yeah, I know. I don't know what you, <laughs> Uh, okay, so this is a fantastic book. I've, I just poured over it. I went oh, right you. through it. I love it. It's fantastic. You guys at Catholic Answers Press, I know you're not personally doing this, but it's a fantastic book coming out of Catholic Answers Press, especially lately. So many fantastic guests on this show have been Catholic Answers Press authors and great stuff. Your book is no exception. I have a question for you, though, off the top, because I got a little package, uh, a little letter with this book. Uh, Carrie Beck uh, on the marketing team at Catholic Answers sent me a copy of this book, and it, with, the, with the book was a letter, and the letter said, Size traded in his microphone for a typewriter, and here's his new book. I know, Sai, that you are you're, you're not a young spring chicken. I can see you got a little bit of gray there on top, right. but I am curious. I know listeners are very curious. Was this book really composed on a typewriter? Does anybody write on a typewriter? Carrie's <laughs> older than I am. He's not much older than I am. But uh, really, he put typewriter in there. It says typewriter. <laughs> I can show you afterwards. <laughs> it's been a while since I've written on a typewriter. A yeah. long while. Yeah, but you yeah, have, no. though. So that, that tells listeners a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, can I tell you something about that? When my children were little, I did the thing with the corn on the cob where you go, and then you go, ding. And they're, and they're looking at me going, what are you doing? And I said, I'm, I'm being a typewriter. And all three of them. What's a typewriter? I went, yeah. oh man, the world has changed. <laughs> uh, well, I got a hundred percent in my uh, in my high school keyboarding class, but we upgraded from the wow. typewriter to to a keyboard at that time. All I could do was type; like it couldn't it couldn't do anything in that computer other than put uh, yeah. words. A hundred percent size. So that's pretty that's good. My, if ever I need a second career, I can just type things. That I is guess. really good, actually. That's yeah. that's. Yeah. I have a daughter like that, yeah, an you. insane typist, and yeah. I, I I don't know. I don't know where you people get it. I don't know. I don't typing school. Uh, my, my first question for you about the actual book. It's fantastic. It, I love how you began this book. Now, okay. I want to ask you in a minute why you wrote this book. Before I even ask you that question, I want to just paint this picture for the audience because in, in the intro, you say something that really struck me and you go over these different people. So talk about, I don't know, lawyers or, um, or, or teachers, dentists, doctors, and what they all have in common is they their evidence, say, in a court of law would be admissible. They're trustworthy people. They seem like people in professions yeah. that, we, that we trust. But they believe in this guy who lived yeah. 2,000 years ago. And I went, wow, that's so true. Like, we walk yeah. around. People walk around. Us, us Catholics, us Christians walk around believing in something that seems pretty crazy, yet we're treated like we're, we're normal enough by society. Yes. Can you unpack for a second that idea because that was kind of profound for me to begin to begin the book 
Well, I, you know, I wanted to begin in a way that uh, kind of uh, gave credit to the agnostic or the unbeliever or the unchurched uh, or the non-religious person to their sense of, it's really weird to say I'm friends with somebody who died 2000 years ago. That's weird. Yeah. And so uh, the whole book is about when you truly, you know, you stop treating it as just like this, something that some people are involved in, but you investigate the person of Jesus. It's all very strange. And I actually think the strangeness of it is part of the attraction of it. And we have to stop uh, kind of pretending like the life of Jesus or what we're asking people to be believe about Jesus is just common, ordinary, everyday stuff. It's not. It's strange stuff. Yeah, that's a fantastic. So that's where the title kind of comes from, Teacher of, of Strange Things. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a great way of, I mean, I love that way of beginning the book because it, it's true, right? I mean, I became, I became a, a Christian at the age of about 15 or so, Catholic about 15 years after that. But when I first became a Christian and, and heard about Jesus, I did think like, who is this? This is a very compelling story. And the people are yes. still telling this this story. And right. I'm putting air quotes for listeners in the podcast. This this story. And are and they're still relevant. I mean, how many other stories or figures are there from that from two thousand years ago who have a following like Jesus does now? And yeah. so so inexplicable and, and interesting and, and strange, right? Very, very strange. And, you know, the one of the strangest things in the world, uh, and I kind of stealing this idea from the novelist Walker Percy, but one of the strangest things in the world is the existence of the Jewish people. Because he's, Walker Percy said in one of his essays, you never meet any Hittites walking around New York City, but you run into the Jewish people. And they, and there are an ancient people that, pers- that, that persists into the world, and they're the same people they were then. And there's no other people like that. There's nothing like Jewishness because the of the call of God. You know, the, the revelation of God changes everything. And so there's nothing like Jesus either. I mean, Jesus actually is one step stranger than the reality of the Jewish people. And so the I think that this is actually very helpful to point out because one of the things that people in our syncretist and relativist age think is it's all the same, you know, get right down to the depths of it. It's all the same. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. I challenge you to find any story as strange as the story of Jesus in the history of the world. Yeah, absolutely. So that's really the the genesis of this book, and the, right the, to get yes. that that strangeness out there. Yeah, that's so remarkable, and, and that's true. We do, I, I guess, less and less these days. Maybe Christians being so commonplace because we are living in, I don't know, post Christian society, right? Things are. Yeah. It's, a, it's not by default in the West. It's not default Christian necessarily anymore. It's it's right. shifting. And to recognize, yeah, the strangeness of that people group who are following this guy from 2,000 years ago uh, and the church he left behind, like that's, yeah, that's a strange thing, right? (laughs) Yeah, and the truth is, too, that it's also, I mean, I don't want to say it's a tweak, but it's a little bit, I'm trying to share this with our Protestant brothers and sisters as well, that the tendency to make Jesus just a teacher and the guy who saved us a long time ago and so you have this story, and if we live his teachings, we're saved. Well, that's not exactly what Jesus himself taught. He taught something much weirder than that. He taught a sacramental religion. And this is where we really get into the strangeness, is that he gave the church sacraments, and the sacraments save you. What? What is that all about? You know, like, 
Yep, that's what happens. The sacraments save you. Peter himself says it. Baptism saves you. Yeah, and that is so strange. And that's what I, I mean. I love that depth to it, right? Um, yeah. the, the sacramental life does seem, because it, this is a big difference, I guess. Absolutely. Like you've nailed it on, on the head for sure between the Protestant and, and Catholic Christianity is, and I can speak from, from my own experience as a Protestant Christian. Jesus is a real figure we have a relationship with, but yeah, yeah. he's, but in, in a real sense, but, and I've had guests on the show. I, I, I had a, I had, um, a number of guests on this show who are converts who've expressed the same thing as, as me. Including people like Father Joshua Caswell, uh, who's who's the head of an order down there in in Chicago uh, of uh, Saint John Cantius down there in Chicago, and he said he was a former Pentecostal Christian up here in Canada, moved down to the states and didn't come back. He he joined the order and now he's the head of their order, and he said that if you look at the, the differences between say even the most charismatic Protestant Christianity and Catholicism. What we're what we're looking for in in Protestant Christianity a lot of times, even the most especially in those charismatic versions, is this relationship right. with Christ, this real like, emotional relationship with Christ, this real connection, this tangible connection, and we see that in emotion, very uh, emotive worship and very um, right. expressive ways of worshiping God and and praying and these kinds of things. Well, I mean the sacramental life is that on fire. We're, we're going to receive the Eucharist every single week. We're going to, I can think of as a Protestant Christian, right? I had that relationship with this, with this, with this Jesus two thousand years ago, but I'd pray to him say to, for forgiveness. And I'd pray and I, I couldn't see or really feel anything, but I'd, I'd pray knowing that he's there. Well, that relationship gets even more weirder and stranger yeah. as a Catholic, because I can actually go to a church, go to a priest who's acting in Christ's place, whose words who has Christ's words on his lips to talk to me in the sacrament right. of confession. So that, that the weirdness of Protestant Christianity, what I'm trying to say, is really amped up in the sacramental Catholic life, <laughs> right? Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. It's a very strange life. But, and, and I used, in, in one chapter in the book, I used the, in St. John's Gospel, you know, the, um, the healing of the, blind, the man blind from birth. And Jesus sends him off. Well, first of all, he... he kind of spits on the ground. He takes the mud, puts it in the guy's eyes and says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And then the guy washes and he comes back able to see. But when he comes back able to see, even his own friends aren't sure if he's the same guy or not. <laughs> what is that? What is that story about? Like Jesus doesn't have to spit on the ground and make mud. He doesn't have to do anything. As a matter of fact, earlier in the gospel, he's raising people from the dead by just saying, get up. Yeah. He doesn't, he, this is not magic. He's not doing a magic performance. So I would challenge anybody who thinks that the story of Jesus is uh, commonplace and not strange, explain to me what that was about. <laughs> and uh, because if you don't give it a strange explanation, there is no explanation for it. And the explanation is he's teaching there. He's teaching us that he has a plan and the plan is what well, comes from the father. It's the father's plan to take the stuff of this world, fill it with his power and save us with it. Stuff like water, just go and wash. And then you come back able to see, and you're so changed, you don't even seem like the same person anymore. It's baptism. He's telling us what baptism does. So it is a strange, strange uh, religion that he teaches, but a religion that's so gratuitous and free. You know, the guy, the, the blind man born from, you got to stop me if I'm talking too much. I get fired up about this. <laughs> but the man born blind from birth, by the way, that's very important. Blind from birth means that what Jesus did was recreated him. He didn't just fix an injury. He recreated yeah. the man. So the, that man didn't ask, read, read the passage. He didn't ask Jesus for anything. 
Jesus just came to him, spat on the ground, put mud on his eyes, and said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And the guy went, and he did it, and he came back able to see, and he came back a new creation. Well, that's what baptism is. So we have a religion in which God came among us, walked among us, for what purpose? To recreate us via these sacraments, these acts that he had filled with his power, like he did with the waters in the pool of Siloam. Yeah. I get this once in a while, I'm sure you do too, the second where I have a bit of an out-of-body experience, not not a Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World out-of-body experience, but, uh-huh, yeah. but but a second where I'm like, this is crazy, right? Or I'll, you'll, you'll, be yeah. in, you'll be in mass, or you'll be praying the rosary, or you'll be doing something, and kind of step back for a minute and go, like, what if this is all nuts? And like, because it yeah. sounds, oh, yeah. right? You have these, and, and of course, there's all kinds of reasons why you have those kind of things. Some sometimes those those are those are otherworldly. I don't know spiritual attacks. I don't want to get too too dark and crazy here, but but you know there there are no, well that, the uh, demons would certainly right? like yeah. to convince you. They'd like you to go. This is all nuts, and yeah. uh, and have that be convincing enough to you that you just walk away from yeah. it. Sure. Sometimes I'm just a little bit neurotic. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know that you are neurotic. I don't think it is well, neurotic. Well, my wife's eye. Well, okay, okay, that's yeah. fine. And you are Canadian. So I'm going to guess, yes, you're probably neurotic. But the, the, but you think about the, the apostles, um, when St. Matthew says, they worshipped, but they doubted. What is that about? I mean, he's yeah. raised from the dead. He's, he's done all these miracles. They worship, but they doubted. Well, that's the, that, that's the condition we are in because we are, but that's a good thing because it, it's a sign that what Jesus is calling us into is actually something that's far above our everyday experience. And so if it seems strange to us, it's because it's a very high calling. It's not because it's nothing. If it was just, you know, I don't know, a common everyday thing, like have team spirit or something, we'd go, oh yeah, I know what that is. But it's not. He's calling us into a very high mystery, and that's why it strikes us as strange. And even in the midst of doing it, sometimes we kind of get the alert. You know, our brain goes, wait a second, is this real or is this not real? Yeah, and 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 like you said, I think it's important to underscore, because this, this show, a lot of listeners to this show uh, and viewers of this show are, are non-Catholic Christians looking into the Catholic faith, are, oh. are new Catholics. I think especially for those Protestant Christians looking, you know, looking at the show and, and going, well, what are the, I know a lot about Jesus. I know I, I Protestants historically and, and stereotypically sometimes read the Bible better than Catholics do, right? So they, yeah. they go, oh, I know all about Jesus. I know, I know who that is. I know what, what he did. But what, what you're calling us to is this even stranger Jesus? I think, right? This, the spitting the mud, the spitting, the spitting the mud. That'd be interesting yeah. too. <laughs> the spitting in the mud, putting it in the eyes. These, the the washing, these that we as Catholics call sacraments. That is the the step, the weirder step beyond just yes, Protestant Jesus, right? Where for the yeah. most part, I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying to Jesus, I'm trying to follow Him based on what the gospel shows me we're even weirder than that right because we're yeah. doing we're still doing these things like spitting into the mud uh right. not personally but we're no, also but doing those physical, those, those acts. physical acts yeah right? Yeah, that, right that are that much weirder i mean i think i would have looked at my if, if my myself say 10 years ago were to look at me now and me trying to explain to that 10 year younger self this is, this is a weird time warp now see I'm this is a jimmy aiken thing, thing too I, you've been spending too much time the, with jimmy aiken I, I all right know, so now we're in a time warp yeah, okay I have, I have. 
I would have a hard time understanding what a Catholic is doing in a lot of those cases because yes. it does seem right. so it does seem so strange. Like explaining the sacraments to a non-Catholic sometimes it, it are, are weird, but the right there in the Bible, what Christ shows us and what he does, it's not it's not hidden. I mean, if anything, what happened based on history is that my Protestant upbringing lost that over time after the Reformation, right? And right. and as a, as a Catholic happened. convert, right, I'm rediscovering those things that really were lost. But that is the the ultra, really weird Jesus that we're called to follow, right? Yes, right. And it's not an insult to say really weird in regard to Jesus. <laughs> he knows. <laughs> he gets it. That, yes, that's. I think you're exactly right on that. And the, you know, the the gift that he is given us, giving us though in doing these yeah. things is an extraordinary gift. And you know who gets it? And if I, if I may say this, I think who gets it is the atheist. I think the atheist today gets it how weird Jesus is better than the Christian does in many cases. Like maybe you remember a few weeks ago, maybe a few months ago, I can't remember when it was, Richard Dawkins, he um, tweeted out something about Catholics believe that this bread and wine is literally the body and blood of Jesus and they're eating it. And then he's, then, I don't know what the following phrase was, it was something about this is nuts. Like these yeah. people are crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't remember what the phrase was, but okay. But that was the gist of it. He gets it <laughs> better than most of us get it most of the time. Yeah. That is either, because he's right, either that is the truth or it's crazy. You're crazy people to believe that. And the wonderful thing is, it's the truth. And I'm, I'm sorry he doesn't know it. And I pray for him. I hope he does come to know it. Uh, but because it's a wonderful truth. And I know that God loves Richard Dawkins and wants him in communion with him, just like everybody else. But uh, you can't say Richard Dawkins doesn't get it. Yeah. And I don't like all these Christians who are so defensive about it. Because I think the answer is, yep, that's right. That is right. From your perspective, that is right. Yeah, it is crazy. And I think I think the really the the interesting thing in, in that respect, the the craziness and these these tangible things, is that really you know this, I know this, a lot of Catholics don't get that. Right? A oh, lot yeah. of our fellow Catholics would would go through a large part of their life in some cases going to the sacraments, right? Being baptized and then confirmed in first communion, and not necessarily get that Jesus started these things, right? He was the right, guy, right. the church didn't invent yeah. these strange things that we just do for fun or, or these rituals just for the sake of a ritual. Like these had their origin in the strange things that Jesus told us we should be doing because I, I think you, this is at the end of the book, I don't want to give any spoilers away, but he wants us to oh, do these just things. Just by the way, yeah. he rises from the dead <laughs> in the end. So now we, there's, there's spoilers are all out of the oh, way. He, yeah, okay. sorry, I just ruined it for everybody, but he rises from okay. the dead. I'm going to so. I'm gonna have to really heavily edit this interview not to spoil the whole plot. <laughs> so go ahead, you said you know, at the end of the book, well, I'm sorry, yeah, I interrupted you. At the you. end of like Lost or something, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't right. Know, that was a terrible ending. The resurrection is much more interesting than the, the ending of Lost. Well, it's better than television. Yeah, yeah. I think that the, that's a thing though, I think. I mean, that a lot of Catholics kind of get the impression that the Catholic Church made these things up. We do these things because of rituals, and we, and we do them. But no, they're they're strange. They're, their origin is in the strange teachings of Jesus. But the sure. point of them is to get us to make us more like Jesus, right? The, these spiritual exercises to make us more like Jesus, because He wants us to be more like Him, because He's like peace perfection. It's, that's what He wants for us, right? He made us, designed us to to be that way, and be most happy that way. Too, right? It's but the, but here's the the ultimate strangeness, and I think even Christians struggle with this one. You know, um, 
as I think it was St. Anselm, I can't remember, I get my A saints, it could have been Athanasius said, God became man so that men could become gods. That's, okay, wait, what? That's, that doesn't sound very Christian. Well, this is what Peter himself is alluding to in the second letter of Peter, is when you, have, when you overcome the evil that's in you, you shall become partakers of the divine life. What does what does that mean? Because, it, like as you said, he wants us to be like him. But the purpose of being like him is not just the self improvement program. It's yeah. so that you can live as a member of the Trinity. You can be in the family of God. We, you know, we we're made. Uh, God the Father gave us a brother who can, by adoption into brotherhood with Him, bring us into the family. That's weird. That's really weird. Like the idea of divinization is very weird, but it makes perfect sense once you kind of unpack the whole of scripture and the whole history of, of God's revelation. It does make sense. That's the ultimate thing. He wants us home with him. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. Okay. So I want to go here next and I want to know how do we, because I think you got, you have a great bit on this, the idea of understanding Jesus as a historical figure, which a lot of people can say, yeah, he, he, I guess he depends on who you ask, but I, I think a lot of people say, yeah, he was historical at least. He did exist. He was a real person. But then wrestling with the claim of who he says he was and yeah. how we, I mean, that's such an interesting juxtaposition to try and wrestle through, I think. Like, okay, so Jesus was real. He existed. But wait a minute. He also said these things about who he was. How do, yeah. how do we unpack that or how do you see that being unpacked and kind of the importance of, of wrestling with both of those things. Well, just first of all, I, I, I'd like I'd go a little farther than you went, and uh, and I want to because yeah, go there. It, yeah. if a person says Jesus did not exist historically, I believe that's not just wrong; that's a disreputable thing to say sure. because that's a denial of virtually a unanimous understanding of history. Uh, you're you're really going out on your own, so yeah. no one should say Jesus didn't exist, but. What can we know about, you know, the Jesus of history and all of that? Okay, so that's 150 years of, of struggling since the Germans first started having those questions in the middle of the 19th century. Well, now I forgot what your question was. Uh, <laughs> I, that's, that's terrible. Okay, so um, uh, this claim that he, or these claims that he makes about himself are among the weird things, uh, are, are among the strange things about him. And I didn't, I decided to put that at the beginning of the book. Because I didn't want to do a thing where I'm like stringing you along through the book, not being straight with you right up front. There's like three different ways to categorize Jesus as a historical figure. One of them is the way that Christians do, which is, this is God came down from heaven to be with his people. That's the one I'm going with. And I'm inviting you to go. I just want to put it straight up right from the beginning. Because... That's pretty strong medicine. And you, you don't want to like kind of pretend like, you know, you're entertaining kind of the Deepak Chopra possibilities or the, you know, the, 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 um, atheist possibilities. And, you know, no, I, I'm not enter entertaining those. He claimed to be God. There's, I, I think there's very little historical question that he claimed to be God. Everybody who wrote about him in the Gospels and in the other writings of the New Testament believed him. There's no writing in there that's not from people who believed him. So you're left with a problem in the modern world. Either you accept the Gospels as they are written, 
or you got to make up a different story. You got to come up with a different story about why all this happened. Yeah, I think is I think is very interesting claim, right? Because I I I can't remember his name. I I was searching up as you were talking, listening intently, and also trying to Google real fast the name of this. That's the, what I do when I'm on I know there. You do, I see. Yeah, <laughs> Are you I'm thinking one. I'm thinking of, I, I move from your playbook. I know that Trent Horn has has debated him before, but he's one of the few scholars who who claims that Jesus didn't actually exist, wasn't a historical figure. And I remember reading his website because he he's made a claim. Richard in, Carrier. Yeah, that's it, Richard Carrier. Yeah. He made a claim that there were a number of scholars who, who, along with him, believed that Jesus wasn't actually real. And I thought, well, what number is that? And he said, I've, yeah. he said, I've categorized them on, I've cataloged them on my website. And so I went and I looked. This was a couple of years ago, so it could may have changed since then. I think there was, I think, seven yeah. So he listed seven yeah. scholars in, in right. and they weren't even all in in the field of historical study. They were different kind of a, a bit far afield, so right. weren't all weren't all experts in that field. But but his marshaling of the evidence is, look, other scholars also also would deny Christ actually existed historically. Uh, we're talking seven people in a field yeah. of thousands and thousands of scholars, right across academia. So. Right, that that claim is pretty is it doesn't hold much water. So we'd say that the, no. the bulk of scholars in the the that field of historical studies and and whatever theology those kind of related fields would say, yeah, Jesus did exist, was a real historical figure. But then I love that though that we have to grapple with this idea yeah. that if Jesus wasn't who he said he was, right? How else do we explain? Everybody else saying that that's who he was <laughs> in the Gospels. Right. And I know there's right. some theory, that there's some, I don't want to get too far afield here, but there's some theories that maybe some of this stuff was snuck in afterwards. Some of the ideas that make him seem like he was divine was snuck in after the fact later on when the Gospels are written and they kind of is tucked in there and yeah. nobody really noticed or, or made a stink about it at the time. I mean, there's all kinds of different ideas. Some are more or less plausible. Some have more or less evidence, but... Like you say, you have, to, you have to grapple with that. The fact that you, you can't just look at him historically when he's making these claims without confronting those claims, right? No, I don't think so. I think you have to confront those claims. I think that's what C.S. Lewis wanted to do in his, yeah. you know, that the, the thing that everybody uses about liar, or lunatic, or lord. Or, and some have added legend, you know, to the, to the L's there. Um, that you... you to be fair, and that's all I tried to say in the book to the atheist or the agnostic person, just deal with the historical evidence fairly. I mean, if you had historical evidence like this about any other person, you'd be fascinated by it. You wouldn't just dismiss it. You'd say, that is a very odd thing that happened. And so just give it fair consideration. And that's what I, I tried to, con- I mean, I, I, it, you know, you, you're trying to at least in this book, because it's such a basic introduction to Jesus that you're just trying to set the table so that the person will be at least willing to give the thing a mature consideration and not just respond with a kind of a canned response. Like, you know, my, my group thinks this about Jesus, blah, 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 and then we move on. Uh, but consider uh, what, who he was and what he said, because uh, the world was utterly transformed by him. And I don't see how anyone can deny that either. The world is not what it was before Jesus. And there is nobody else that did that, that had that effect. And there's people who have had very, like Socrates and Buddha and Confucius and Muhammad. I'm not saying people don't have an impact or an influence, but no, a whole new kind of society was brought into the world with Jesus, a kind of society that never existed before. Uh, 
And so this is a new thing and it's worth looking at. Well, why? Why did this happen? Yeah. I think the the idea of evidence for me is so interesting. I got in, I got into I don't know why I did this. I got into a conversation on Twitter with an with a, an agnostic. It was a kind conversation. I'm, I try and be cordial. That's the the name of the show. It's an aspirational right. title, but I try my best. And I'm Canadian, so by default, it's it's pretty easy to be pretty cordial with people. But I got into a conversation about and and their objection was there's not there's no there's no proof for for Christianity for Jesus. And I said, well, like what kind of proof do you want? And yeah. he said, well, there's no, there's, there's just no, like, there should be way more evidence than there is there. And I said, okay, and I'll give you this for free side. This is, I thought, pretty, pretty good. I think maybe Jimmy should take okay. some notes on this too. I thought it was right. pretty good. So I said, okay, look at the Titanic. The signal of the Titanic, that happened not in your lifetime, not in our lifetime, not in this guy's lifetime that I was talking to. But we believe that it happened, and we believe it based on evidence. So we have, we have articles, reports, we have some photographs. Uh, you could if you had enough money, probably go and see parts of that still sunk there in, in the ocean where it sank. And I said, how is the resurrection the, the, or the, the birth of Christianity, those things, how is that really any different? It's just older evidence. And he said, well, where can we go to find, to find right. the tomb? I go, well, you go to the Holy Land. And there's a site yeah. that, that right, has been for a long time. Maybe it's, maybe it's not the actual site, but for a long, long, long time, it's been seen as the site. So, that's something you can see. There's these written records in in the Gospels and quite a wealth of evidence considering the time period it was from. And there's also kind of miraculous actual physical things like the Shroud of Turin and these things that are have weird, kind of pretty strange miraculous properties. And I said, it's it's a, you have to think of the evidence that you're looking for when you're looking at the beginning of the origins of Christianity. I mean, it's it's there in abundance if you fairly weigh the kind of evidence that you should be looking for in, in that place, right? You're not going to get these photographs and videos that you would for the Titanic because that was only 100 years ago and this, and this is 2,000 years ago. But, the, but there is evidence that really needs to be honestly weighed, right? Does that make sense? How, how is that for a... I mean, you spend... I, I, think that's, I, <laughs> okay? I, I actually think that's brilliant and I actually think oh, it's very you. possible. <laughs> I think it's possible we do have a photographic negative at least, uh, yeah. which is oh, very weird. That's I mean, so good. I don't know what the Shroud of oh, Turin man. is. I have... I am one of those people who tends to credit it more than discredit it. I, I, I think it's likely that it is the burial cost of Jesus. And if it is, you have a photographic <laughs> negative from the first century. Okay, that's so true. that's... Try to beat that. I mean, you know, but but <laughs> I don't. your Titanic pictures. You got, yeah, but but I don't rely yeah. on the the shroud of Turin yeah. uh, for my faith, and I don't <laughs> yeah. want to make anybody else rely on it for their faith. It's just that's just my kind of educated yeah. guess, I suppose. Yeah. But I think you're exactly right. Is the evidence is far more compelling than uh, in, in part two, and I and I wouldn't leave this out as evidence. The lives of the saints, you know, that yeah. what actually happened to Peter and Paul yeah. and the other apostles and to Mary Magdalene. And, um, you know, you have Paul and James, neither of them believed in Jesus. Both of them in their own hand wrote. Well, I shouldn't say their own hand because, you know, in those days they use an anamnesis that someone else is writing it down. But both of them in their own writings said they saw him alive after he was dead. They didn't believe in him. Before he died. So if you have an eyewitness, people go, well, it's a myth that developed later. Really? Because Paul was a contemporary of Jesus, rejected him, 
killed Christians and then said he saw him raised from the dead. That doesn't sound like a myth that developed over time. That's evidence. Now, I wouldn't accept Jesus on the basis of just that evidence, but the evidence piles up over time. It just piles up. And among the evidence is the fact that the church is still here. People like St. Francis and St. Dominic and St. Teresa and St. Catherine and St. Joan of Arc. And in our own time, people like Mother Teresa and people like Padre Pio and miracles like the Shroud of Turin, possibly like the Eucharistic, Eucharistic miracles like yeah. Lanciano. I mean, people who have, I mean, you can go right now today if you want and talk to people who have been cured by a miracle and they were examined at places like Massachusetts General Hospital. You know, like, it's not like these yeah. things are happening, like, you know, like UFOs, like out in a field somewhere with only one farmer side. You know, I'm talking about the little girl whose healing made um, uh, Teresa Benedicta a saint. You know, uh, what's her name? Um, Edith Stein. Yeah. Uh, a yeah. saint. Yeah. This little girl was dying at Massachusetts General Hospital and her liver came back to life. And the doctors who are not Christians say they have no idea how this happened. But her family happened to be praying to Edith Stein for healing. Like, you don't have to go to the ends of the earth for this stuff, but you do have to have somebody open the door enough that you'll go, okay, I'll, I'll consider it. You know, and that, that's what we, I was trying to do in this book. Just, just crack the door open. Yeah. I think that's fantastic. The idea of expanding that look at that evidence to look at the lives of the saints and these miracles and that kind of thing. Yeah. Because we do, I mean, we don't just rely on the efficacy of, say, like a medicine or a drug or, or a vaccine by looking at the lab results. You look at also the, the real world tests of that thing and the real world ramifications. Yeah. And the same thing with Jesus. We don't just look at the gospels and say, okay, there's good evidence there. Of course, you expand that search to look at those who follow Jesus, right? And you get good and bad in there, of course, sometimes, but hopefully the good well outweighs the bad. And the lives of these saints are fantastic examples. I had somebody on this program who who was cured by Padre Pio, one of his, one of his last remaining miracles before he passed away, right? This, this woman, as a child, as a baby, her mother brought her to, to Padre Pio, and she literally like regrew like her bowels. Like she regrew like an yeah. organ in her body. Because right. that, that, and doctors gave her, didn't give her long to live and all these kinds of things. And literally, like, I mean, these, these are measurable <laughs> things that are yes. happening. Right. And even in the lives of the saints where there aren't necessarily miracles happening, there's a, there's a tangible change in a person who can go from, from one thing to another and live this holy and inspiring life and then inspire so many other people to live like that, right? That's that's pretty good yes. evidence, right? It, it's a, right. It's pretty good evidence. And things like the fact that, like, you can turn on the TV when there's um, a talk of war, and people who have, ne- ne- have never had any connection to Jesus Christ are giving you just war theory. Because yeah. why? Because the church teaches the world, and then the world learns it. You think that all this stuff that they teach about the just war just came from nowhere. It came from the Christian church, the medical ethics. I mean, the, the impact of the, of the, of the Christian mind on the world is undeniable. I mean, undeniable. And, and yet we, we do deny it. Yeah. We do deny it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's interesting. So you, you shared a number, a number of these moments with Jesus throughout the book. I'm wondering I don't want to go through each, every single one. I want, I want to know. I do. Come because on. I want to give listeners and, and viewers uh, a tantalizing taste right. of this book so they want to pick it up for sure. But, but he rises well, from the dead in the end. Yeah. <laughs> you already spoiled it for us. So. <laughs> right. No one's going to buy it anymore. You have no I idea know. How, I to, know how it ends. How to yeah. really sell a book to you. <laughs> <So. laughs> 
Why did you choose, I wonder, these particular moments? I mean, what for you did they really illustrate about Jesus that you'd want someone someone to know? Was there a certain, because you could choose all kinds of moments in the life of Christ. Right, right. I mean, why why these moments? Well, you, I mean, you actually probably literally could just at random take six yeah. moments from Christ's life and you could write a pretty good book. You know, like you, if you, if you, if you were able to gain insight into those moments. But I think, I mean, I, I started with, um, the, the angels appearing to the shepherds and then, you know, Jesus in the temple and then his public ministry. And then towards the end, I get into, you know, after the resurrection, um, and then they don't come in order, but so there is a kind of an arc though. I mean, part of it is an arc like that. But the other thing is I, I wanted to pick moments that uh, gave people a sense of Jesus as the protagonist of a story who is a very lovable protagonist. And if you don't get that, that this is somebody that if you could, you know, like in the movie version, you'd root for him. Although there's been a lot of bad movies yeah. made about Jesus. <laughs> I, I mean, but there's been good ones too. Um, but, you know, this is, uh, this is a, a person who, for whom, if you just let, if you just let the moments of his life kind of unveil before you as a story, you, you do root for him and you, and so once you have that rooting interest in him, then maybe you'll listen to him. So that was kind of the thing, yeah. most especially with the call of St. Matthew. I mean, I really thought it was important to point out to a world that just constantly congratulate, congratulates itself on how tolerant it is and how diverse and all that. Jesus invented this. Okay. The call of St. Matthew is a person utterly putting his own reputation on the line. He's already being, been accepted by the common people as the Messiah. He's probably on the verge of being accepted by the Pharisees as the Messiah. They're following him. They're asking him questions. They're investigating. They've, why did they come out from Jerusalem? They came out because they heard the Messiah was here. They came out to ask questions. He's got a great reputation. People love him. He's celebrated. For it. And what does he do? He calls St. Matthew, tax collectors and sinners. And what happens? All the good Jews who are following him, like Peter, all the Pharisees are like, wait a second. It's like a, it's like a scratch record. You know, <laughs> wait, what? And and so this is the person that Jesus is, a person utterly unconcerned with his own reputation. He wasn't playing at being the Messiah. He was the Messiah, and he didn't leave anybody out. He went right to the sinner and said, why don't, you, why don't I have dinner at your house tonight, Matthew? And it's a, a magnificent story. So when you see him as he is, He's very, very lovable. I just don't know how else to say it. He's a very lovable and admirable, ad, admirable. Uh, here in America, we say admirable. Yeah, That's yeah. the way I should have said that. But uh, character, you know, you just, and, and once you have that, once you see that that's who he is, that he's not this kind of, he's not a TV preacher. He's not a holy moly. He's not fake in any way. And he's willing to put his reputation on the line at a minute's notice. Because he's going to call, you know, this really this tax collector who everybody looks down on everybody. Um, so that's what I was trying to do was just share some moments that I thought and I could have picked up very many different moments. Yeah. But um, I just tried to pick those six to try to get the sense of him as a lovable protagonist, because that's what he is. He's the, the lovable protagonist of all of history. Yeah, I think that's really remarkable. And the calling of St. Matthew is so interesting, right? Because he yeah. could have, 
as you say, he could have gone and called some rich and powerful and famous uh, yeah. Jewish leader to really to to elevate his own status as right. as the Messiah, but he didn't. He goes to a guy who, as you said, is despised by both Jews and Gentiles. This tax collector yeah. is is not a a person that anybody really likes. I mean, he's he's no. doing this job that annoys the Gentiles, to put it lightly, and is kind of seen as. I don't know, gross by the Jews because he has to go yeah. in, he go hobnob with the Gentiles to, to collect those taxes. I mean, I think that in both cases, he's not a well-liked person and that's who Jesus first goes to. Right? I mean, that, right. that speaks volumes about the kind of example that Jesus wanted to, to set for us to follow, right? Right, exactly. And the, and the first thing the Pharisees say is, why does your master eat with these tax collectors and sinners? And Peter and the apostles are like, we don't know. <laughs> they don't. Nobody has an answer to why Jesus would. At this moment, where it just seems like the story is building, and here he is, he's the Messiah, and and he he just chucks it all because Matthew is that important to him. Yeah, and that compelling that they would follow him even when they have no clue what he's doing. Like they'd go, yeah, we don't know why he's eating with these people, but we're here following him because he was that compelling, right? To those yeah, those first apostles, right. exactly. I think it's remarkable too that, and very much the point we that we we have to reintroduce this Jesus to people, yes. right? Because yes. uh, again, I mentioned this before, like we're we're in then the so-called Christian West or so. I think we've we've strayed quite a ways from being the the Christian West to a point where even people who would say, yeah, maybe, I, maybe I'm a Christian, I I I, w- I grew up Christian, whatever. Almost everybody needs to be reintroduced to Jesus. I think yes. at, at some point, unless they're devout. Catholic or Christian really digging in and, and, and reading their Bible and, and going to church and, and interested in the faith. So many people, I think, that identify as, as Christian or as Catholic need to hear about Jesus again, even if they at one point in their Sunday school career heard about him, right? This is absolutely, that's exactly right. And many of them are, you know, for, for well, there's two things in our society. One is a real growth in the number of people who have reached young adulthood without uh, a kind of community, uh, a family community that, that survived. So they have this trauma and then they have, uh, they never went to church. They never were given any instruction as far as uh, God goes or any of that. They didn't go to a religious school. They really are in the dark. And so we need to have more materials for them where we just say, You've got to meet this guy. And, yeah. and I have, I, I get emails from people who say, you just don't say guy when you're talking about Jesus. He's not just a guy. <laughs> Please talk about him like he's a, a normal human being so that people can have their moment with him. Like, what do you, I'm supposed to, what, carrying him around a monstrance or something? I believe he is there in the monstrance. What good does that do the person who doesn't know him? Yeah. So, you, I mean, I, so I just try to talk about him in a normal way. And I, and I, I believe in that actually. But then the other group is that what you were talking about, those of us who we, uh, our catechesis is split and our personality is split, our mind is split, and we, we're not uh, of a whole. We don't have an integrity uh, to ourselves because we've been catechized by Netflix just as much as we've been yeah. catechized by, uh, you know, the Gospels. And, there, and, and I'm not trying to tear down Netflix. I'm just trying to say there's a point at which uh, you, sh- you, you've got to make a fundamental choice. And if you don't, you're leaving 
something open that's very dangerous to leave open. Don't leave open the possibility that uh, you might uh, reject him, you know, because he tells us people do reject him all the time. And we see it in the Gospels. People reject him all the time. So take seriously. This is, you know, like in the Mark's Gospel, I don't know, it's like, the first chapter of Mark's gospel, the, 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 Mark uses the word immediately, like 11 times or something. Yeah. Peter responded immediately, and then he did immediately and immediately. The point, like, if Mark is, like, he's trying to flick you in the head, like, there's no time. Now is the time to choose. Now is the time to make up your mind. Don't be waiting around for some future moment. Yeah. I think it's an important point to underscore, too, where you're being catechized, right? Where you're learning about who Jesus is. It can be very important if what you know about Jesus comes from, well, what I what I heard in Sunday school twenty years ago, or yeah. or yeah. what I what I saw on 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 Netflix, what I read in a book one time, or something that was that was like Da Vinci Code or some kind of fictional bizarre right. narrative, right? The, the perspective or the idea of so many people have about Jesus is is a flawed idea. Isn't based on actually just reading the gospel or reading a book like yours that introduces us to who he is. We got to be careful of, of the sources. And I think for, for us who talk to and about Jesus and, and try and share the faith, and, and this goes for all Catholics who are looking to share the faith, we have to, I think, be careful to understand the people who we're talking to, how they see Jesus too, right? Do they have a picture of Jesus from Netflix? Or is there a picture of Jesus just from Sunday school 20 years ago? Yeah. or something, Right? That's important yeah. to figure out when we're talking to a person. How do they, we're talking about Jesus, but is this the same Jesus that we're talking about How as we both understand him, right? Right. That's exactly right. And that's exactly, I think that that is exactly it, that there's a certain kind of, you know, eye roll, interior eye roll when, when the name of Jesus is said by many people because heard that, you know, I already know that. Yeah. Don't, please don't lay that on me. And um, there's some comedian, as a matter of fact, I, I can't remember who it is who, who would come out and start his act and say, uh, I just want to start by talking to you all about Jesus. And this would get a big laugh because you know, everybody is uncomfortable when that person comes up to you and says, I just yeah. want to talk to you about you. like that makes everybody uncomfortable. Even Christians are uncomfortable with it. I just want to talk to you about Jesus. So there is this, I mean, as much as we can say people don't know about Jesus, they do know the name Jesus and they have certain associations yeah. with that name. Yeah. And we got to rewire those associations. So nah, that's not, it's not, it, he's not the punchline of a joke. He's something much different than that. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I think is so, so confused and misunderstood and maybe I don't want to say commercialized, but is, is we, we do Easter to commemorate this. I don't think that anyone really knows. I shouldn't say anyone a lot really know what, went on there. And I'm talking about the, the crucifixion. I mean, the idea that Jesus, but the, a major part of his ministry on earth that is, that is sometimes glossed over in popular culture is that he died and, mm-hmm. rose, and rose from the dead. So right. when we're looking at this kind of foot in the door introduction to who Jesus is in, in your book, how do you go about explaining the, the crucifixion? Cause it's such a weird I mean, we can accept him as a teacher. That's cool. As this guy who said cool things and taught cool morality or, or whatever that we sometimes follow and sometimes don't. Then he died, though, on a cross. And that's like, that kind of throws a bone into this kind of fun mm-hmm. guy, good teacher Jesus, right? So right. How, do you, how do you tackle that? It's, um, but that's another one, isn't it? Where, where the atheist gets it and write, they, write, you know, they, they write on your you know, social media, well, 
why do you believe in uh, in any God who would send his son to be executed for yeah, sins he yeah. didn't get? Like yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. And you go, well, actually, you kind of get it. Like that, you're you're on the right path there. Yeah. It's the person who goes, oh, yeah, you know, like we just, okay, Jesus uh, died on the, and we don't even look at the crucifix on our own wall anymore. Yeah. And, and, and some of that is just human nature. I mean, you can't literally appreciate the crucifix every time you walk by it or you will be doing nothing else in your life. So, so there's some, something very human about that, but the, the, it's impossible to grasp the meaning of the cross apart from the preparation for Jesus that the Holy spirit made by calling the Jewish people. So you start with Abraham and Isaac, of course. So you, you start all the way back with Abraham and well, even before that with, with, you know, the, the creation stories and the story of the fall. But then, you know, the history part of the Bible, you know, starting in the, I think it's the 12th or 13th chapter of Genesis, where a man named Abram, you know, we have a name of a specific man in a specific place, meaning that God is very interested in individuals. You know, he has this very personal touch. Uh, it's not like Zeus did something, a man named Abram. That's so basic. You know, it's so like history. And it is history. There was a man named Abram. But the the kind of context of the Jewish relationship with God is the only way we can ever understand what Jesus did on the cross. And, it, and we get the, the clue from the last of the Jewish prophets, John the Baptist, who says, behold, the Lamb of God. Uh, so, okay, behold, the Lamb of God. That tells me, if I, if I know Jewish history, that tells me a lot. Because we know about the sacrifice of the lambs at Passover and all of that, that this is meant to be a love offering and a shared feast. That's what the that's what it is. I, I know our Protestant brothers, brothers and sisters don't like the feast part, but that's what it is. Not just the sacrifice; yeah. it's also a feast. This uh, and so that's what Jesus is doing on the cross, offering himself as sacrifice, but also as our food for for feasting on forever. You know, this feast goes on. But then you, you can go even a step further and say, well, but why? Why did he do it that way? It makes sense in Jewish history, but why do it that way? And this is where you get to the utter gratuitous love of God, that he wants to pay every last bit of the price incurred by his beloved. He doesn't want to leave one iota of anything unpaid for. He can forgive it just by going, I forgive it. But he doesn't want to just forgive it. He wants to pay for all of it. It's like, um, you know, it's, it's the same kind of impulse, but on a divine level as the person who will, uh, you know, um, pick up the tab at dinner. You know, as, as small as that comparison is, the person who says, I, I got this. I want you all to just. You know, because I, what is the person doing when they do that? They're, they're trying to be the servant of your happiness. This, the, the, I'll take care of this. Don't worry about a thing. Okay. This is Jesus picking up the tab yeah. for all of us. And the, the, the plain truth though is he picked up the tab the moment he was conceived in the womb. He, the, the tab was paid already. He chose the manner of paying the tab, not just the fact of paying the tab. Because being one of us is suffering enough, okay? That pays the whole bill. But, you know, descending all the way through heaven yeah. to come, that pays the whole bill. But he chose the manner 
of the payment. And he chose it. Why? Because he tells us in John's gospel, when I am lifted up from the earth, I, and it almost makes me cry to say it, I will draw all men to myself. He wants to draw us. His arms are open on the cross. He chose this manner of death because he wanted to draw. He, He will not harm us. A man on a cross cannot harm you. He cannot take anything away from you. He's giving everything for you. He just wants, you know, he wants the same thing he wanted from us that he wanted from Peter. Peter, do you love me? That's the only question that matters. Do you love me? <laughs> That's great, Sai. I love that. Give me goosebumps. Yeah, well, he does. Yeah. I have two more things I want to ask you. And the first is about Jesus' teachings. Because there's one thing to read the gospel stories and objectively see what's happening in there. The, the, that's, that's history. If you accept that as history, what's happening, you're okay with that. But then his, his teachings are something else. Because those are things that, uh, for whatever reason, can be object- can be interpreted and yeah. misunderstood and kind of manipulated. So we can we can all agree, and this this happens more and more these days, I think, than ever, is we have people really stripping down, okay, Jesus lived and did these things, but what he taught, we're really going to try and manipulate and, 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 and misunderstand and kind of, what do we, what do we make of that? The, the fact that Jesus was, I mean, he came, he lived, gave some pretty clear teaching, but we, we try our best really to shoehorn our own ideas into that teaching so often, despite how clear he is, right? Well, first of all, we're, we're, we're not fooling him. I mean, we're not yeah. getting away with yeah. anything, you know, the, the, and I have a little bit in the book about how, you know, he's asked specific things about teaching, specifically about how to have eternal life by a, by different people in the Gospels, among them the rich young ruler, and also there's a, a, a couple with different Jewish scholars of the law, and the scholar of the law is testing him. And so Jesus explains the teaching, love, this is how you have eternal life. Love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus accepts that 100%. But Lord, who is my neighbor? Jesus then instructs him, and he tells him the story of the Good Samaritan, which is a real, like, poke in the eye to the teacher of the Jewish law. Like, oh, you know what, who your neighbor is? The person you hate the most. (laughs) So, but that, but he just gives the instruction. With the, with the uh, rich young ruler, he says, what must I do to have eternal life? Jesus says, follow the commandments. Then he tells him which commandments to follow. And then the young man says, but I've done all of that. What do I still lack? And Jesus tells him what he lacks. Sell all you have, give it to the poor, come follow me, and you'll have everything, basically. Well, this, this, these two things, I think, are a sign to us that Jesus can explain himself. And the, the, the scholar of the law we were given to guess doesn't really accept the explanation. There's no yeah, indication that yeah. he accepts what, but the, or Jesus can say what he said to the rich young ruler. He does explain himself to the rich young ruler, but then he says, come follow me. And the only way that any of this is actually going to make sense is if you accept, come follow me. Stop putting your own interpretations on this. Stop thinking that you're smarter than other people. You give everything you've got to the poor and come follow me then you will understand. And the, the, the practical way, this is the, the exciting thing about it, the practical way to come follow him is to receive the sacraments. I mean, yeah. it, we're back to the sacraments again, that he, he is the teacher. He is the one who teaches. And ultimately, he does it mysteriously, but the sacraments are the primary 
lesson. I, 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 like he can teach miraculously through the sacraments by changing our heart of stone to a heart of flesh. Well, if you don't let him give you a heart of flesh, you're never going to have one. It doesn't matter how many different interpretations you put on the scripture. If you don't let him give you a heart of flesh, then your interpretation, it doesn't just, none of it matters. So the come follow me to me is the important thing. So you can fool everybody in this world. You can fool yourself your whole life. But unless you accept the invitation, come follow me, scripture ain't going to make sense to you and you're not going to get it. Well, that leads right directly, Sai, into my final question I had for you is where we follow him. Well, he established a church, right? Yeah, and I think this right. is this is the remarkable kind of departure point for for our, our the non-Catholic Christian listener versus the Catholic listener is, is as a non-Catholic Christian, I would have said, well, Christ established like groups of people who followed him. And to follow Christ, you just kind of you read your Bible and you pray and you try and live like Christ did and, and live the tenets right. that he left for us and believe that he's the Messiah. And, and I wouldn't even have said that baptism is required because for us it was just a symbol and as was communion. But if we look at historically what the first Christians believed after Jesus uh, ascended into heaven again, he started a church. Like how he left us the means to follow him wasn't just nebulously like believe in his teachings and believe he was a good guy and try and, and try and emulate those teachings. It was, like you said, receive those sacraments and those sacraments are found in the church, right? In the, in, yes, in the Catholic absolutely. church. So people can kind of manipulate who they think Jesus was or what he said or what his message really was. And it, it happens all the time, even within the Catholic church. In some cases, people want to kind of twist what he said and what it means to follow him. But objectively, we can know if we're following him if we're in or out of the church, right? Like that's how we know if we're following him. Are we part of the church that he founded, right? That, that's what the gospel says. Yeah. That's certainly yeah. what the, that's what St. Paul says. I mean, and that's what the, what the apostolic fathers say. You know, they say, how do you know if you're in the right church? Well, are you in communion with your bishop? If you are, you're in the right church. That's pretty clear stuff. Yeah. And it's all first century stuff. It's not, you don't even have to get to the second century for that. Yeah. So I, it's absolutely clear. I mean, I don't think any Christian would dispute that Christ founded a church because he says, I will build my church. So, I mean, it's pretty hard to be Christian and not accept that he founded a yeah. church. But the nature of that church is given to us. And if we don't want to see it, then we don't want to see it. But it's one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic. And the Gospels come from the apostolic church. These are the testimony of the apostles. They're not all written by apostles, but they are the testimony of the apostles up to Jesus Christ. And the only reason that the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament survives is because of its connection to the apostles. This is, the, the Bible is part of an apostolic church. Yeah. I had a whole thread one, one time on Twitter because I interviewed uh, John Steingart, who was leader of a Christian band called Hawk Nelson, and he had a famous deconversion story. And so I had it on my show ages ago, and Twitter went nuts after that. He's pretty famous on Twitter. I didn't, I didn't listen to his music, actually, when I was a, Christ, when I was a non-Catholic, but I didn't tell him that. But he had a very famous deconversion story, and, of course, that spawned kind of conversations when I had him on my show. And one of the conversations that it spawned was people saying, well, how can I be a Christian when all you guys just fight and argue and have, have different denominations and are disunited and there's no, there's no connection when, and this was even kind of the, 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 some of these former Christians and these non-believers said, look, when Christ tells you, you should be one and people will know you're Christians because you are one. Yeah. And <laughs> I said, yeah, that for me was a catalyst to become Catholic actually, because I was yeah. looking for a place where, how else do we become one apart from uniting under something? And that's got to be this yeah. 
this tangible hierarchical church that traces itself back to Jesus and the apostles, right? Yeah, so that, I, I, well, I mean, uh, I host Catholic Answers Live, so if yeah. you're looking for an argument from <laughs> me, you ain't going to get it. But that's, I mean, I, I, that is the basic truth. And it was a truth that, I mean, Christianity was understood as a liturgical, sacramental, hierarchical religion from the time of Jesus until the 16th century, yeah. and then something happened. I mean, we talk about the split between East and West, but that's not really a split on the nature of sacraments or yeah. the, the nature of what Jesus founded. It's on, well, you know, some, I mean, I mean, I suppose the papacy and, and the filioque, you know, these are important things. I'm not saying they're not important, but they're not like the invention of a new Christianity, which yeah. is a non-liturgical, yeah. non-sacramental, non-hierarchical uh, religion. That's not what Jesus founded. Yeah. People good. want that to be what Jesus founded because yeah. we're modern and we're individualist, yeah. but it ain't what Jesus founded. Yeah. It's not, it's just not. Yeah. Sounds good to me. <laughs> we, yeah, both, well, we both agree. I should, have, yeah. I should have had a more argumentative guest on the show. I thought, Sorry. I, yeah, well, we tried. Yeah. Uh, Sai, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show, getting to meet you virtually here. I'm yeah, sure you too. Thank you. Love this conversation. Where can they go to find this book? And I mean, I don't know if they've had their heads buried in the sand, but to hear you every single day, uh, if, if they want to, where can they go to find these stuff? This stuff? Well, you can come to my house. I'm here every day if you want to hear me every day, or you can go to, uh, uh, EWTN or Catholic.com or uh, YouTube or Facebook for Catholic Answers Live which is on at 3 p.m. Pacific time uh, each day, 6 p.m. Eastern. Uh, and uh, you can also get us in podcast form. We also do an, a, a little podcast called Catholic Answers Focus, which we're very proud of. So you can find us there. You can find the book pretty much. I mean, if you have a local Catholic bookstore, it would be nice to get it there because we love it when you support your local Catholic bookstore. If you, uh, you know, you can get it on the usual online places. Uh but you can get it online with us too at shop.catholic.com. And you can, if you're, you know, if you, if you're like, I just have to read it now. Okay. That's all right. We have an electronic version too. And then there's the Kindle version and all that. So you can get it in print and I read it aloud. So, but that's not out yet. Soon it will be, what's that called? Audiobook. Soon it'll be the audiobook version. Oh my gosh. You use the typewriter to type your words into there. Yeah. And then well, the you should have seen me recording an audiobook. Yeah. It was horrible like the people who are putting it together now have to edit so much yeah. stuff out i'm i am terribly unprofessional oh, in that to, regard yeah the closer to sainted maybe from all that hard work that's right a little purgatory for him yeah fantastic yeah i laugh when you mentioned uh, at your house i think one of my one of my really early guests i can't think of who i think it may have been lawrence feingold just gave his phone number to, to people and I asked him how they could get in touch with him so so you gotta be careful what you uh what you wish for si well, I can't remember my phone number a lot of the time. This actually happens to me. I'm not joking. People will say, what's your number? And I'll go 888-318-7884. But that's the number for Catholic Answers Live. But I, but when you say it every day, like 20 oh. times, it gets in your brain. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, Sai, what a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you for being here. You I, too. I want to say God bless you. God bless the ministry you're doing, which which I know has helped uh, so many people uh, come to know the faith better, to come into the faith. So, Thank you for all your hard work, and God bless. Oh, you too. Thank you so much. It was very generous of you to spend so much time with me. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, 
Well, I sincerely hope you enjoyed that conversation with Cy Kellett on Jesus, who he was, who Catholics say he was, how we understand our risen Lord and Savior. It was a lot of fun to have. I really appreciate Cy coming on the show. And so hopefully you enjoyed it too. Let me know at cordialcatholic at gmail.com. I love hearing from you guys. Tell me where you're listening from and why you continue to listen. I love your feedback. I write back to it as soon as I can. I get a lot these days. So I am working through that inbox bit by bit. So I promise I will get back to you as, as soon as I can. I love hearing from you guys so much. TheCordialCatholic.com is our website for show notes and for blog articles and all that kind of fun stuff. We're on Instagram at CordialCatholic, YouTube at YouTube.com slash TheCordialCatholic, Twitter at CordialCatholic, and Facebook at TheCordialCatholic. Please follow us on those platforms where you can. Love to see you guys and, and hang out with you and, and, and share what we're doing on all those different social networks. Patreon.com slash CordialCatholic to support this show on a monthly basis. That helps to keep the lights on and things going and growing. $5 or more a month, patrons get access to free uh, book giveaways. And uh, everyone gets access to early, ep- uh, early access to episodes as well. PayPal.me slash Cordial Catholic for one-time donations as well. Thanks for listening, guys. Please do follow this show on Apple, uh, Spotify, leave ratings and reviews if you can on those platforms. That helps to push the show out to new people as well. And know that I am praying for you guys. Please pray for me too. And I'll talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening, guys. God bless. This show is brought to you in a special way by our co-producer patrons over at patreon.com slash cordialcathy. A special thanks to Ellie and Tom, Kelvin and Susan, Stephen, Suzanne and Victor, Phil, Noah, Nicole, Michelle, Jordan, John, James, Gina, and Aram for your special support at the co-producer tier and making this thing possible. You guys are fantastic. God bless and thanks for your support.